Hi, welcome to our season 11. We're on episode four. Um, episode three, we talked about um, what a platform was. And now we're going to go deeper in and ask, if you're going to go and play in a platform, how do you really do that? I'm Mary Abazia, and with me is Tom Spitali and Sean Wellem. We're part of Impact Planning Group, and we're excited to uh, to delve into this one. So, Tom, how do companies actually participate in a platform? Yeah, once a company, a B2B company, decides that they want to participate in a platform, the first thing that you have to realize is that it's likely going to be the most price transparent environment that you operate in. I mean, if you can imagine any consumer platform, Amazon that you shop on, real easy to kind of rack and stack your options and, and compare prices. And so it's likely that in order to be successful on most platforms, you're going to have to be a little bit more price aggressive than you have or are outside of the platform. And this really starts to create some, you know, interesting strategic issues for, for a, a platform um, seller, you know, because you as a B2B likely have an established um, channel and they're selling your products at a certain price. They're trained to actually you know, build up the value of your of your goods and services to get you a margin that that is healthy and that you you know you're, you're satisfied with. It's going to create a problem if you go in with the same product and service into the platform and just sell it at a lower price. The problem it's going to create is this channel conflict. Your traditional sales channel is not going to like that too much because their 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 prospects are going to say, "Why can't I just go on the platform? Or why can't you give me the platform price?" So I think we wanted to tee up a discussion today, really, how, you know, how do you deal with that? What are some of the strategies that you can have as a B2B seller to sell efficiently and effectively, successfully on a platform and uh, reduce or eliminate channel conflict? So just one thought on that, Tom, we, we, um, we make an assumption, which is fairly safe and common, that price transparency is a part of every platform. But yeah. I'm guessing for some services in particular, uh, let's say legal services or CPAs or something, but if you if you were on a platform that introduced your services to, say, small, medium-sized businesses, you wouldn't necessarily have to have a price. It's more explaining your, your ethos, your value-add, your location, all, all the stuff that might mean something. Yeah. And it's more of an introductory platform a bit like a dating app right it's about putting people together without necessarily i was going to say discussing price that would be a different kind of dating app i guess but you get my point that, that for great products <laughs> great products have price transparency and that is what we're talking about today but not every platform fits that mold and, and sometimes you'll you'll differentiate by how you present your offer yeah to generate the inquiry from the platform because you can't yeah. possibly quote. It's a great disclaimer because, you know, I, that is a, a, a broad brush statement that, that, that I made that may, may or may not be true. I mean, platforms are just taking shape, you know, who knows what the rules, the, the hard and fast rules will be or what, you know, new types of platforms will emerge that could potentially be, you know, uh, include less of your competitors. I think, that 
though it's safe to, to assume that the majority of platforms today, the ones that are emerging today, they're looking to kind of bring together a whole bunch of suppliers in certain categories. So it's likely that there'll be a little to a lot of pricing pressure in most platforms. And, um, you know, so I, I think it's, it, there, there's this, you know, you absolutely have to be differentiated and there might be situations where it's less competitive, where just setting yourself apart um, uh, is gonna be a little bit easier. But I think in a lot of situations, it's gonna be a little to a lot harder you know, to, to set yourself. I, I agree, by the way. I, I, you know, I, I think it's it's true because even if it's not price transparent, as in, I, you know, you're selling some consumable product. Yeah, you know, my my cement costs this much per bag, or per kilo, or what have you. That is going to be a fact, and we see that with financial products like car insurance and so forth, where you can compare a lot of suppliers at the same time. But even if it's not price transparent to that extent. The fact that we've made it easier for potential customers to shop the market, to easily reach out to five or six of your competitors, creates another level of price. So I think it's an absolute fact. It's just that um, we, I didn't want to think of every platform as being a, a price comparison platform. Yeah. Uh, it, it's sometimes a, der it's a derivative of that. The price pressure comes from the, the ease of access to the market as well. So two oh, different. Yeah, I think that that participating in a platform provides an opportunity. Um, it's if you just go in with the same exact bag of cement, you know, it's same name and everything. Of course, people are going to, you know, they it, it's their job to go, ah, it's the same thing. But um, there's an opportunity when you're on a platform to change that value proposition. Everything from, you know, this maybe it's delivering, you're getting into a different um, segment of the market that needs bigger bags or smaller bags or different forms. Um, and I think if you're in a platform, there are hopefully is some synergies with other platform players that you can start to bundle or provide some kind of a, a grouping that makes it easier for the end customer to say, oh, I can get the cement and the other um, types of things, you know, the, the mixing bowls and everything. I can, I can put it all together and get a package deal. So I, I think it's the, if you're going to participate in that party, in that platform party, I, I, think it's, I think it's your job to be creative about how you deliver that value in a different way. And then it makes it less easy for people to, to go apples to apples in comparing price too. Yeah, no, I, I get, I get that. I think that's absolutely right. You've got to have some differentiation, but you know, almost a, a challenger brand to your existing brand. Maybe you know, you could even bring out a different uh, product name, uh, offering different attributes and services. So maybe that's part of it is to uh, is to have a platform product as in, in addition to your principal product. I, I think I think it's a, I think it's 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 absolutely essential. Mary, I was going to I, you know when I think about this uh, differentiated platform type of product, right, and in varying aspects of the um, of the value proposition, I think about the case that you always talk about, uh, where um, I believe it was the there was a cartel. Yeah. Which one was it? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, you're yeah, we're thinking the same. I yeah, the sugar talk about, Yeah, I think you should talk about that because I think even though that wasn't a situation uh, for a platform, it occurred years ago. I think it's an interesting case study that shows the kind of value proposition changes that can be considered to be more price competitive. 
if that's yeah, what I think talking. it. Yeah, I guess you're you're reading my mind, Tom, because it is in the back. You know, as I'm thinking about how you shift your value proposition to different segments or different channels, um, in this case, that I think you're right. That was such a great example where a company was selling, you know, crop protection um, to farmers, and when a sugar cartel came along and said, "You're going to give us your lowest price," this company was smart enough to say, "Okay, we're gonna we're not going to give you." Sencor, we're going to give you S26. And it's not going to be in the easy, convenient packaging. It's in a big drum. And by the way, you have to come pick it up. We're not delivering them. That's not part of this deal. And there's no financial terms that we usually provide to our, our farmers. You, you know, you can arrange your own financing. We're not doing that. So when they when they stripped out that price, they stripped out the value components as well and gave them the core of what they wanted, basically. And you know, they were smart enough. They they made money in both segments just well because they were managing not only the revenue but the cost side of those. And I think that you know that is a really good example as you play in different platforms that you you could shift a lot of those different levers depending on the needs of those customer sets. And, and, and the, I, I think the, the immediate reaction to something like that might be, oh, well, that sounds like a lot of work. Why, don't, why, why even bother, right? Um, why would I want to be in an environment where the pricing pressure is so formidable that I would have to, to do all that? And we talked a little bit about this on our, our last episode, but just to repeat, or if somebody's kind of just diving into this episode, what we talked about is the whole attraction to be in this kind of environment is that, first of all, they're growing exponentially. There's three times more B2B platforms that are in existence today than there were just two, two years ago. But the other, the, the other attraction to, to platforms is that they are really bringing together more and more buyers to you. And marketing and sales costs, which are typically 20 to 25% of revenues, are you know trend towards zero in the platform. The platform is an opportunity um, uh, as they grow to, to reach a lot of buyers uh, at a really low sales and marketing expense. And so I think that uh, we I think we all agree that it's it's going to be attractive to a lot of B two Bs out there. Okay, economically as well. You, you I mean, there's two reasons why you go on a platform. One's to lower your cost of customer acquisition, the, the sales and marketing expense. And two is to in increase your, your, your revenue and ultimately your, your contribution, your, your gross profit. But theoretically, at least, thinking as an economist, you could say, well, if we sell 10,000 widgets today and our marketing sales expense is 20%, and we can sell 10,000 widgets on the platform and our sales and marketing expense is 5%, then happy days, right? Yeah. Just fire off all of your sales and marketing expense and just go there's, there's got to be that constant view strategic view of the trade-off between what you're trying to achieve how else you could achieve it and is this the best option and at some point with these platforms yeah you can flirt and have a platform product maybe and it's an, an addition to your core go-to-market strategy but ultimately i suppose you could double down and say, no, we're either, we're not doing the platform because we've, we've found a better way, or we're going in big style and this is going to be the future of how we distribute. You're essentially outsourcing your sales and marketing function to the platform. That could be the, the end game. 
and and there's this in between period. I agree, Sean. Yeah. There's this end. There's this in between period where most companies are going to want to try to do both, you know, and and that's that's where you run the risk of cannibalizing yourself because, as we said, you go to the platform with same version of the product that your traditional Salesforce is selling, but at a lower price. Now, what you're doing is you're, you're eating yourself. <laughs> you know, your, your Salesforce is, is, is upset. Uh, your customers are maybe running to the platform because they, they want to get it there. And I, th I think this in this in-between period, it makes a lot of sense to understand that there's probably, you know, both markets are going to exist simultaneously, maybe permanently, maybe for a while, where you have your traditional Salesforce and traditional sales channels and your platform. And so that's where it's really important to try to figure out if you can live in both wor worlds. Because if you do that, you probably are protecting yourself for the future. Because let's say that the future heads towards you know, more and more platform where you decide that's the way you want to sell in the future is entirely on platform. Well, you're getting some real great experience here with your platform specific product right now, right? Let's say it goes in the other direction where platforms don't take off like we all, you know, I think ex expect them to, um, or there becomes a real viable reason to not participate at all for some companies in a platform. You still have, you know, your separate product that's a different value proposition that you expand on that. I think this idea of experimenting in both worlds is something that's really important right now to B2B so that they can learn and be able to flex with whatever way the future leads us and leads your yeah. company. I think, and I, I have a couple more thoughts to build on that, Tom, is, is if, if you are going to go to those other platforms, I, I, I don't know how well in B2B you can shop them, but it seems like you know, I wouldn't I, like Sean, your analogy of, you know, dating the first person that, that comes along, you know, you may not date that first platform, you may need to right. say, okay, I'm going to do this, this is strategically the right thing for us. But then now I need to shop it and see which other platforms might even be more viable for us. And, um, and then once you decide that if you say, okay, this is this is the right thing for us to pursue to put somebody in charge. You know, if you're a big enough company that you have resources available, letting someone be responsible for it, because a lot of times great ideas die because there's just no one's watching it. So put somebody in charge of, of being on watch and managing that relationship and, and seeing if that goes well and, and in the best interest of the channel. You may have somebody else that still focuses on the traditional. So in larger companies, that that is a best practice is to make sure you have people dedicated to really watching those two different areas. I, I agree. I think also, you know, we my gut feel, my opinion, if you like, on this is you you need to think through consequence. Whatever your strategy is with a platform, think through the consequence, both good and bad potential and expected and, and and think of it as a trend analysis what could happen if we go down this road play it out a little bit because you you you've got to ask yourself the questions if this platform generates more revenue more business more leads more opportunity how what is it is it just the scale effect is it how they're marketing it could we do something better because ultimately even though i said that you know if you could sell your 10,000 widgets with zero or low sales and marketing expense, happy days. It, it might be in the short term, but in the long term, if you outsource your sales and marketing, your, your, your 
your, the essence of your business has gone. You are just a commodity manufacturer, ultimately. So you also have to think through of the, the long-term effects of this, this approach too, of thinking, what can we learn from it? And I think, I think Tom's you know, opening bit is right. It's a little bit like you've got to have a foot in both camps in, in the early days while this stuff figures out. Um, don't, you know, don't, don't go heavy either way. Don't, don't, don't ignore them uh, and hope they go away. But I, at this stage, for most people, I would say I wouldn't necessarily pile in because I don't think the consequences are clear and you need to have that essence of what your business is, which is always your sales and marketing. It's never your product. Cautious, yeah. Um, cautious, but you can't put your head in the sand either. Um, I think, Mary, you made a great point that I want to build on a little bit about putting somebody in charge. I think that's important, but I think we also have to learn uh, a lesson from the beginning era of the web, you know, the, the internet age, where autonomous divisions ran a company's e-commerce websites. And it, it was a disaster. Why? Because, you know, customers expected that channel to be integrated with all of the other channels, right? They, they, and, and so you had these autonomous web divisions that were offering products, creating this channel, this very channel conflict that we're talking about. They had these products and services, aggressive pricing because the distribution costs direct were lower, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it didn't meet customer expectations, but it did also create a huge amount of channel conflict in the traditional sales channel. So I think that if somebody's in charge, of platform, there's got to be an executive that sits over top of both channels, the 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 uh, platform channel as well as the traditional channels, to make sure that this you know this this entire strategy is is harmonized and thought through, where you have different value propositions being offered in both channels, so that you can truly not repeat history <laughs> and make the same mistakes that were made, you know, what in the late '90s, early 2000s. A lot of companies, you know, led led to a lot of stocks nosediving too, as well as just. Yeah. Of, so so we proceed with caution and ask what if a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, we hope that you've um, had a, a few new thoughts from from this discussion, and we always appreciate when you send us your thoughts and let us know how it's going for you as you're experimenting with all these different things. So, um, thank you again, and uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.